Hey, how's it going? It's Tim Brown, and I am with Ryan Groth of Sales Transformation Group. How are you doing, Ryan? I'm great, Sam. How are you? Doing well. We're talking about the seven biggest mistakes when scaling sales in your contracting business. And, you know, I'm, I kind of have prepped you. We're talking a little bit about people that are in the process of scaling a little bit. Maybe they're going from 1 million, 2 million up to 10 million. You're kind of in the hunt, right? So first of all, have you seen some problems out there? How often are you talking to um, contracting businesses? Yeah, I mean, we're talking every single day with companies that are in a growth phase and sales is, a, is you know, the lifeblood of growth, right? So it's like oxygen and you got to grow sales if you want to scale your business. So we talk to people every single day. I mean, we, we, have, we serve hundreds of clients. And so uh, this is a problem we're solving on a regular basis. Do you ever talk to people that are like, I don't, I don't really want to grow my sale. I'm, I'm comfortable. For sure. And that's super weird to me because I just can't get my head around like how and why people would want to grow because the cost of living increases, the stock market is changing. I mean, if you do nothing, you're going backwards, right? So um I think it's, it's, there's a little healthy amount of fear for me. It's like, you know, you never know uh, when it's going to run out and I, you don't want to be fully motivated by fear, but it is a pretty good motivator when you start to look at the consequence of not trying to grow. And then you start to see uh, the long-term impact specifically around the owner, having to wear all the hats again. I mean, if you can grow, it's, it's a game changer, man. You know, everything can change, you know, if you can really be growth minded, I mean, Think about it. Like, I love to have a business and have my time, have autonomy and have a great team, have a great thing to be excited about, make great money, make an impact, leave a legacy. There's just no way you roll out of bed with one, you know, as, as, as a one man show and live that dream. You're going to be stuck to a ball and chain of a business. But if you start to crack into uh, the next level, it's super exciting. But the skill gap required to get from there to there is a learning curve. And you could shorten that dramatically. So I think everybody should be motivated to grow and somebody doesn't have that in their mind. I'm like, like, oh boy, you haven't thought along, thought through this long enough. And I feel, I hope that we can change your mind because, um, you know, it's a, it's a strong, strong uh, saying, but I still believe it's true. You're either growing or you're, you're dying or you're going backwards. And I think growth just seems to be a part of our DNA as entrepreneurs. I'll add two things to that one, your team would like to grow your team might want to lead people too. You know, you might be leading three, four people. Hey, maybe they want to lead a couple people too. Maybe there's opportunities for them to grow as humans that they won't have unless you buckle down and do what it takes to get to the next level. And then it's kind of like an incubator, right? Like it's like an incubator, the bigger the incubator, the bigger the the cage is, the larger the animal can kind of grow into Mm -hmm. it. And if you don't have that in mind, no one's going to want to stay with you. And they're going to, you know, they're going to have up, up under, under below average people working for you. Right. They just mm. don't want to be successful in life. So, And then that's who you got to be around forever. The below average people that are cool with staying at 2 million for the rest of their lives. And the other thing is you want to be able to have new challenges. And like, I think that that's a beautiful thing about growing. Like I have learned so much as a human being. It's terrifying sometimes. But yes. just growing a business, it is actually illuminating on a lot of my flaws and it helps me grow in new ways. And 
So I think you just learn a lot. And I think that's fun part of growing. 100%. So we've got, we've got these seven mistakes here. Let's start with the first one. Mistake number one, not having a compelling vision to get excited about. Why is that a big mistake that you've seen? You're trying to scale a sales team. Um, you're asking people to leave what they're doing. And you're not just asking people. You're hopeful that they're talented people who you would hang out with, go on a vacation with, that your best clients would buy from with, you know, with a snap of a finger without batting an eye. And you just can't get people like that to stay on unless there's something exciting for them to get behind. And I see owners time and time again, think that giving them a decent job and paying them a decent commission and even getting them a wrap truck is exciting. I mean, but today, I mean, we're just exposed y'all to so much. I mean, you could find successful people in other markets and in your industry and different industries really quickly. And I think that, um, yeah, there may be an entitlement culture that we deal with, but the reality is, is that's not, it's going to make you successful, but at least you have to create a compelling vision to get people excited about. And most people, yeah, it's materialistic to a degree, but most people want to feel um, like they're, they're a place that they can call home. You know, most people, and I have some philosophies around this, so I'll, I'll, I'll move around some of the details, but at the end of the day, people need to feel like they're uh, a part of a family or places they can call home that they're a huge part of what the family mission vision is. So if you think about a vision and a business, it needs to have some altruistic component that makes an impact. And then it needs to have a recognition and belonging component. And there's just no way that people are going to say who are talented people are going to come in and go to war with you and be a warrior at the, uh, you know, Arthur's night of the round table uh, after a big week in sales and have a dinner with you or whatever, if there's not a compelling vision for people to get excited about. So I think that, yes, there should be some financial component, but if you really want the right people, the salt of the earth people that are going to represent you the way that like you're really proud of day in and day out. Um, and we're going to compete with other industries, right. And in contracting, we, we, I want my missions to make roofing sexier than, than technology. Like I want people to want to be a part of this. So how do you do yeah, that? You yeah. got to create a compelling vision and it's got to be a component of sure. Extrinsical things like extra, like, you know, money has to be a part of it for sure. It's expensive these days to live. People got to make great money, especially in sales. And then they need to have a component where they feel belonging and recognition and they can compete with big bro, little bro, that salesperson, that other salesperson, and then an altruistic component, uh, which we're giving back and making an impact. People will stay with you knowing that what you're doing is going back in the community. And that's something we're working on ourselves, but that um, a lot of companies don't dig deep. Owners don't ask the question, what do I want? And what makes that owner tap dance to work is going to make the people who you want on your team tap dance to work. And that's what you got to dig in and find out. And most owners are too caught up in their own brain day to day um, that they haven't taken the time to do that. You got to go deep, create a deep well. And then when that deep well is there, you can pull from it and share the water with everybody. And they're like, man, I'm drinking this Kool-Aid. Let's go. And that, that's something that you need to have in your company. That's amazing. I'm going to throw out a book recommendation to, with that one book called vivid vision that I found very helpful for sharing that vision with the team. Um, it's basically about creating like a three to five page uh, thing that includes graphic design, but kind of shares the vision. Um, you can check out an example of one of those at hookagency.com slash vision. That's what I'm doing for our team to kind of show that. 
All right, we got mistake number two, owner not having been trained in sales themselves. Why is this important? I think it's um, it's important. Be, well, let me just say this. If, you, if an owner doesn't learn sales for themselves, there's a couple of big mistakes. A, salespeople can come in and say, oh, they haven't done this themselves. So they lose some respect for the owner who's the visionary, who has a compelling vision to get excited about. But A, they, they also have more leverage where there's less ability to be held accountable, which we'll talk about a little later. But th there needs to, like, I want to play for somebody who's done it before, who gets it and can teach me something. And if I go and work for a company and there's no sales authority, but all they have is uh, operations background and they don't, they're trying to teach, they're trying to bring some outside influence in. Now I'm literally just following the outside influence. I'm not following the owner. And at the end of the day, the owner is who they work for. Well, they work for themselves, but in conjunction with the owner. They don't work for the sales coach. They don't work for the sales trainer. So I see it being really problematic when the owner hasn't. Well, another thing too is, gosh, if you're an owner and been sales trained, you learn how to delegate the rest of your business, you'd be making so much money. It'd be crazy, right? You'd be, you have so much money in the bank because you're spending 80% of your time on high value sales activities. You tighten up your sales process, your mindset and your sales um, you know, uh, habits. Good Lord. Then you're probably doing 4 million by yourself. Honestly, if you really do the math, probably netting 40%. And you'll just be like, what am I doing? Now let's hire salespeople because then you can truly mentor them. People need mentors. And you don't want to be somebody who somebody doesn't want to be mentored by. If you're going to be an owner and try to build something and be a visionary and scale sales, dude, I want to hang out with you. And if I'm thinking I don't want to hang out with you, it's because I don't have anything to learn from you. Then you're probably not going to have very talented salespeople in your team. It's mm -hmm. good. All right. Mistake number three, putting your best salesperson as the sales manager. I can see why this would be a mistake, but what is it that's so attractive for companies that decide to do this? What, what kind of like thrusts them into this? Yeah, what gets you, what, what you think is, oh, if let's just say Johnny, Johnny's good at selling. He could definitely train other people on selling. So let's make him the manager. He needs to hold them accountable. He needs to know their numbers. He needs to coach them. But Johnny's doing a million and a half to two and a half million by himself. And now you take Johnny off the field. And so it's enticing to want to put them in leadership because you trust them. You tell them to go, go eat that, go kill that. And they kill it. You're like, oh, they go kill that. You go kill that. They'll go hit this goal. They hit that. You're like, sweet. If they can say, you know, here's jump this high. And they're like, well, how high do you want me to jump? I'll jump over it. If you ask them to do that and then you're like, so certainly they'll, they'll be able to do that well in, in sales management. It's enticing. It's compelling. It's interesting because you don't want to do it anymore. Um, I totally get it. You want to level up and be a CEO, right? So um, what I would recommend is, is start to look at a sales manager as more of like, um, I mean, I'm a big athlete guy. I played professional baseball. I love sports. And um you know, what I would do is, is start to find more of a sales analytics person, like a director of sales analytics, so that they're, they're able to create the transparency in the numbers that create an easy conversation. You don't want your top sales athlete starting to be a number cruncher, because now that's what you're turning them into as a sales manager. And instead, you want them to be the model citizen, but you don't want to take them off the field. So I would start with, hey, let's create more management accountability, transparency 
by adding like a sales admin slash uh, analytics manager who's kind of geeky. They don't really have a ton of authority necessarily. Was it the Moneyball guy? I'm a big Moneyball guy. I'm all about that. I'm all about the Moneyball guy. So I'd rather have the Moneyball guy and you're still Billy Bean and lead the athletes on the field. And then maybe I need to at some point have a full-time authoritarian, you know, um, executor type accountability person who can be responsible for the growth and they still keep their athletes on the field. Mm. All right. Mistake number four, to grow, you need to hire more sales people. So people think that you need to do that and that's their mistake. What should you do instead and why? I would do a time management audit. So I do these with our clients where uh, I say, okay, let's look at a two week span and I want you to do this first step. I want you to tell me um, how much time you spend in all the things that you spend your time with and then total it um, over the number of you know hours. So then we do it and then we do a percentile. It's like, okay, you spend 5% of your time doing this. You spend 35% of your time doing this. So now we have like a percentile breakdown of their time. Next thing we do, Tim, is we say, okay, now I want you to place a value on those times, one out of 10, one being the lowest value, 10 being the most valuable thing that a salesperson could be doing in their day-to-day job. You know what ends up happening is they're spending a lot more time on low value activities than they would, uh, than they actually need to be, right? So they're like, well, there's just not enough time in the day. I got to upload my CRM. I got to do this. I got to do that. I got this. And so what what we find is when we do a version 2.0 of their time and what it should be, more than enough, more than oftentimes, two things need to be delegated. And it depends if they're commercial or residential, but a couple of things need to be delegated. One's for sure is admin work. So what we find is that there's a lot more administrative work that's taking up their time that doesn't move the needle, but needs to be done. You could spend, you know, 35 to 60 grand a year having a really good person on your team providing sales support to then free up the athlete to go be on the field, right? It's to free up the, the salesperson to go out there and, and spend their time on high value activities. So now- How do you do this without giving them a sense of entitlement? I feel like I do, like we were kind of talking about that earlier, but I see that that's an easy thing to happen. And then those people can become just less than ideal to work with. And I know that you've probably seen this, like an owner experiencing this with a little bit of entitlement. So is there any way to like kind of combat that? Yeah, I mean, I, I get it. Like, um, you don't want them to feel like, you know, now they're prima donnas. I don't want to do that. I don't want to do that. But it's like, that's yeah. where accountability really needs to be involved in your business. Because if you then think that that's suddenly just going to change, you still need to inspect what you expect. And that's that's going to be important because now there's no excuse. And uh, But just mathematically, there just isn't enough time in the day if you're expecting a salesperson to perform at a high level, but they're spending half their time on a low value activity. And um, I just think that when you inspect that, you have to back it up with accountability because that person's like, dude, if you're not hitting their numbers or not producing, then there's no excuse. What do you mean you're not prospecting? You have nothing else to do but that. Like, tell me mm-hmm. what's going on. So accountability is super important. We'll talk about that, I'm sure. But um, yeah, I would, I would certainly combat it with uh, standard setting. And you know, you can also create spiffs, tiers, uh, goals around it, something to kind of create some uh, new standards in the organization. Because if you do that, that'll unlock some things. I mean, it's a lot easier to try to make one good salesperson 35%, 50% better than it is to find another salesperson to match 
that uh, in the in the time that you're going to be able to do by hiring a support person, right? Just the time difference, the ramp, the selection process, just on paper, it makes a whole lot more sense to try to, um, you know, bring some leverage and free up the salesperson to be on the field more. So don't just run off and hire more salespeople, hire sales support before you do that. I like it. All right. Mistake number five, not knowing your numbers. This may seem basic, but what are some of the numbers that you think are most important for a roofing organization? Well, it's funny. I mean, I was on the phone with a $10 million residential roofing company and I asked them their closing ratio using a CRM and they actually couldn't tell me. They're like, I still, it's like, I still don't know. Like, I couldn't tell you that. And it's like, why is that a problem? I mean, well, A, you can't really determine and slice and dice any data to say, retail or storm or this person or that person to be able to isolate the variable that, you know, could be the cause of the main problem. Right. So like at the end of the day, it's going to be really hard to know how to increase your closing ratio if you're not actually measuring it. And so, and we have a salesperson right now who, you know, we need to, we need to address like the closing ratio, the numbers don't lie, but the people lie about the numbers, but the numbers don't lie about the people. And if you don't know your numbers, you're going to feel emotionally connected and, you're, and that'll drive your decision-making with leading your team. Where instead, uh, you need to take the emotional hat off or at least add to it a, an objective hat, which is knowing your numbers. Like, so why is one person's closing ratio this and that person's closing ratio that? Why is this person's average deal size this and that person's average deal size that? Why is this person's sales cycle this and this person's sales cycle that? I can promise you it's going to have to do with lead source and sales process. So if they're getting all the referrals, they're probably going to have this, that, and the other more. Um, I likely would say their closing ratio would go higher. But if somebody's average deal size is smaller, is it territorial? Is it ge you know, geographical, right? Is it uh, they just don't sell up, do upsells and add-ons and upgrades and they avoid it like the plague because they just can't sell value? Why? How can they not sell value? Maybe they have a limited money ceiling. Maybe they need a you need to work on their mindset and start to believe that they're worth more and they're more valuable. And that's a lot of money is really not that much money. They need to change that so they could just have more comfortable conversations about sales. You can really isolate and transform people to be more successful in selling. If you know your numbers, go back to Moneyball, right? Like, you know, let's talk about why is somebody's, you know, OPS, right? It's like, it's a more like, what's the most valuable thing? When you look at the numbers, you could be surprised pleasantly about somebody that, you know, you may just not like, but like, Hey, look, they could perform or you love somebody, your brother, or your best friend, but they can't close, you know, they can't close their eyes. Right. It's just not working. <laughs> so, Got to know your numbers. You can't make good decisions yep. at scale without that. And if you ever were going to get acquired and anybody ever wanted to buy from you, which is happening right now, a lot of private equity, venture capital in the space moving right now, you you're just going to look like, your, your valuation is going to go lower. I mean, if you're going to try to scale your business and present to somebody why you're worth this much of EBITDA, you're going to have to tell a story. And if the more factual your story is, the assumptions are correct, you're going to be, they're going to be like, dude, I got to replicate this guy's model and they're going to pay more for you, right? Oh yeah. And they're going to, they're going to know their numbers. Promise you that <laughs> these private equity guys have got this shit down to a science of you're coming in with, I don't know my closing ratio. Yeah. You're going to look like shit. So with that being said, what's your favorite? Do you have any favorite platforms for roof, like roofers in particular, for being able to slice and dice the stuff easily? 
Yeah, we that'd be offline. I don't want to make any enemies on this uh, on this line here. Okay, perfect. I, I mean, I'm all about making enemies out here, so I would love it <laughs> if you just know. Just kidding, it's all good. Yeah, I CRM is a kind of an interesting um, animal. It's still a moving target. I was going to bait you into it. What's that? It's still a moving target. Let's just say that. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I'm okay. So mistake number six: not having a strong culture of prospecting. Why is this a problem? This is a problem because a lot of reasons. One, if you don't prospect, I mean, you can't fail a prospecting. You can only fail to prospect, right? And prospecting, it can be as simple as being more habitual about asking for referrals. It could be as um, simple as just creating the honey hole in your neighborhood and just making that a habit. You know, 80% uh, of introductions close, 50% of referrals close, but only 11% of salespeople ask for referrals. 90% of customers, if they were asked, would give one if they were satisfied, but only 11% ask. So there's a lot of issues around like just asking and prospecting because I don't know about you, Tim, but like, just give me a round number. What's the most somebody spends with you a month, a customer, just on ads, the pure ad spend? So we round are a uh, little bit more focused on organic, but yeah, like okay. our average stuff is like maybe a five, 6,000 a month and then ad spend goes up to like 20 and stuff like that. So, yeah. So if they're spending 20 grand a month, um, cost per lead, cost per booked appointment, cost and then customer acquisition cost. Um, I mean, good Lord, like if you could prospect, you shave that down and that 20 grand can go into something to grow the business. Maybe it's a uh, better technology. Maybe it's better truck. Maybe it's more training. Maybe it's um, something to get back to the community. I mean, you can reinvest that, um, and, you know, and, and do a better job with your ad spend. Plus, um, it, you know, when you're referral oriented and you're prospecting, it requires, um, it's, it, just, it just creates a more stronger organic brand when you have a consistent mm. method of prospecting. Secondly, um, when, what happens when the leads stop and they don't know how to prospect? Now the sales guys panic. They're like, oh, it's their fault. There's gotta be a culture of responsibility and a figure it out factor component in your company. So like if you have a prospecting culture, you can, you can speak this language of like, look, you will never go hungry if you know how to prospect. You can always feed your family in and out of season. You can always, this will be a skill you could take with the rest of your life. Um, but most people just don't do the work. It's like eating dirt. Like it's like nobody wants to do it, but when you do it, you're grateful for it. So I think um, there's a lot of reasons, lowering marketing costs and spend, it allows you to find salespeople um, and hire more when it's time and they have the right support, like, of course, to create space. I will not be mad if somebody's margin of their, of their week is the prospect, but if it's to do something that's not supporting and bringing on new growth, and that would be, for example, like project managing would be a bad thing that they do, ordering materials, right? They should stop that and free up their time to meet with existing relationships, partners, and prospects. I won't be mad at all. So well, I could add more salespeople if they're able to do those things. And, um, and then that creates a healthy competition. Like you can create teams, you can create rewards and leaderboards. People in sales want to compete and they want to feel like they can win and be the best in the, in the company. Right. And if, so I think that it's really, really valuable and to not have a culture of prospecting will cost you a lot more. You'll see more turnover. You'll have more prima donna type conversations at the end of the day, they're not even that good anyway. And you look at leader you know, industry, <laughs> industry salespeople, there's so many better ones, but they, it's big fish, small pond, you know, 
it's uh there's a lot to to cover there but hope that that uh that note sinks in i think i think that's really good um mistake number seven thinking that you don't need accountability as an owner i think you're talking about here um well yeah it starts at the top right sales leader yeah yeah so like um you know i think the owner uh, if they're not looking at the numbers every day and having a report sent to them about what's going on, then guys just get lazy. They think, oh, that owner loves me. We're friends. We have a beer together. We had, you know, hang out. I know their family, you know, and they start to, to kind of disconnect and not really crushing it. Um, and then all of a sudden you see the numbers aren't there. You're like, what's going on? And yet now you want to have a confronting conversation, but you have nothing to stand on except your emotions. I don't know how many times owners tell me that they, you know, are boiling about a salesperson, but they're not even tracking what they're doing every day and holding them accountable on objective information. And so I'm like, well, that's your problem. You have nothing to stand on and you're emotional. And that's hard. It's, I mean, the, the leadership mantle is, is very, it's a big deal. And so to be able to look at the numbers and say, look, bro, like you're not succeeding just because you're not putting another, enough deals in the pipeline. You're not having enough conversations. And if your closing ratio is low, the quality of your conversations aren't very good. Let's talk about that. And the more you can, and another thing that I, that I feel a lot of people don't do is they don't bring personal connection to the goals. So like, for example, when a salesperson has personally expressed what they want in life and sales is the vehicle to get them what they want. And then there are goals to help them succeed in that function so that they can get what they want. Now you feel really good about holding them accountable. You're doing it out of love, right? You're doing it out of, dude, I want to see you win, bro. Like, but you're just not putting in the work or you're not doing this when you, or a girl, when you're doing that, it's a game changer for your culture. Now they're like, man, he pushed me. And I'm like, now I'm a better performer. I mean, that my life's been technically changed here because of what this company's done for me. You want that kind of spirit in your company? You know, and so um, not having any of those goals to hold people accountable to, not having those conversations, not looking at the numbers, it's going to hit you way too late. And you're going to be like three months later saying what happened. And you could have caught it the day of and just started to have those conversations early and sniff it out. And I think that a lot of people don't know how to do that. And you don't need it when you're doing one to two, three million dollars. But when you want to get to 15 to 30 to you know 50 to 60 you got to be, you got to inspect what you expect and you got to be able to have an accountable culture. I appreciate that. It's almost like you, I don't know if you guys got it from the same place, but the art of construction guy always says that the, you got to inspect what you expect. I, I, you guys probably got it from the same place, but. Yeah, it's pretty common um, saying, you know, but yeah. Okay. I actually haven't heard it except through that guy. So that's, that's why I, <laughs> Okay, so if you need accountability as an owner um, and for the sales aspect, one of the most important aspects, if not the most important aspect of your roofing company, how could somebody work with you guys on that? What would be the way to get a hold of you? Um, what's your guys' website? Yeah, uh, salestransformationgroup.com. And it was a long one, mouthful, but uh, we go by STG for short, but you can find us. I'm on Facebook, Instagram. LinkedIn. Um, my emails are Roth, R-G-R-O-T-H, G-R-O-T-H at salestransformationgroup.com. You can email me. Um, yeah, you can go on our website. What do those first call. couple steps look like? Like, what are, yeah, what are the, 
what would they be doing with you those first couple chats? Well, yeah, obviously we would ask you some questions connected to you and if you guys wanted to come on board. But the first couple of steps would be we would analyze you and your sales team and measure you guys against uh, what a national industry percentile standard of sales performance excellence looks like, right? It's a mouthful, but we want you to know where do you stack up? Where do you measure up with the best in the, of the, on the planet at selling? What are your weaknesses? What are your strengths? And then um, as of course on the call, we want to hear where you want to go, what your commitment's like. Are you willing to get out of your comfort zone, walk you through our platform? But uh, we would do an evaluation on you and your team and help you create a scope of work on how to improve your sales performance. Then we work with you guys on creating a shared uh, sales vision and a sales plan on how to get there for the next 12 months and reverse engineer and help you guys create individual connected goals from your salespeople to help that be a reality. Um, and then we would help you guys uh, create some quarterly meetings to, to just check in on that plan. Um, backing out of that, we'd also help you guys create a sales kickoff event to create your a very powerful, you know, empower you to have like a very powerful two-day kickoff event of kind of moving from where we've been as a company and our sales culture to where we're heading, which is proactive, purposeful, accountable, you know, taking massive action type of sales culture that's going to, you know, be the best because you've defined success. And then we give you guys some sales processes, um, depending on your business model to implement. And then, um, you know, with that, we, you guys would implement role play, reinforce. We also get into some personal growth, um, you know, best practices and training and coaching to eliminate barriers to your success. Um, yeah. And so uh, we would help you guys do that. And we would coach you strategically and then hold you accountable if you guys become one of our plus clients, which is our highest level of support. And one of our teammates would hold you accountable and move you from left to right and set deadlines and you know, help you guys realize a transformation in your company. Awesome. Thank you so much, Ryan. Um, I appreciate everyone for watching. It's uh, hook, hookagency.com. <clears throat> hook Better Leads is the podcast and Hook Agency all over social. Um, appreciate you, bro. Thank you for coming on today. Thanks for spending the time. My pleasure. Glad to be here, Tim.